0: let's read our text for today. Ephesians chapter six, starting in verse 10. If you're using one of our Bibles, um, eight 17 is the page it'll be found on. If you don't have a Bible, if you forgot yours, you can grab one on one of the, uh, off one of the black tables around the room. So Ephesians six, starting in verse 10, finally. So Paul's getting ready to wrap up here. I know y'all are probably thinking the same thing too. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I don't know if any of y'all came prepared, um, read this text beforehand, like come ready to just like be filled with all of the knowledge because I am an absolute expert on this topic. Just kidding. Um, I come in here this morning just uh, in all honesty, um, someone who is very much learning this week uh, under this, the authority and the weight of this text. And so I don't come in here proclaiming, be able to give you the depth and the realities of what Paul is talking about here in Ephesians 6. Honestly, at times this week, I was kind of overwhelmed with the mystery and complexity of, of what Paul is talking about. And when they received this letter, uh, it, you know, at this time, this church in Ephesus, there wouldn't have been much like discussion on whether this was a valid part of the letter. You know, is this, is this really going on? And honestly, in a lot of modern places today, places like Africa and Latin America and Asia, it's not a question to be discussed of whether if this is a reality. But there's no way in the next 30 minutes that I can really unpack what what all of this means and what all the implications are for our lives. And so I'm not gonna answer all my questions and I'm certainly not gonna answer all of your questions. what I want us to do is just to create a sense of understanding, just a sense of awareness for this reality of the battle that we're actually in. So if, if we get to the end of today and we just have this newfound awareness of what's going on around us, it's going to be a success because next week, uh, Douglas is going to look at this armor part of the text. It's this next piece of the text where it says, okay, so here's the battle how do we armor ourselves for this battle? So next week, we're looking at that. But I want us to just at least understand first. And this is why we split it up into a couple different weeks because you have to first understand the battle that you're getting ready to enter into before you understand how to equip and armor yourself uh, in defense. So you have to understand the battle first. And that's what we're gonna look at today. And so I just want you to think with me for a second, if you were inviting someone to come play baseball with you, Say, hey, you know, since so many of us just play baseball on a regular basis, and imagine uh, you're inviting a friend to come play baseball with you. Hey, we're playing baseball on Saturday. Um, The thing is, they've never played it before. They don't know any of the rules. They don't know what equipment to bring. So basically, most of America. Um, And they show up. They go to a sporting goods store, they buy a hockey stick, they buy a hockey puck, and they show up to play baseball. And this is what they bring a hockey mask, a hockey stick, a hockey puck, this would not really make a whole lot of sense, would it? So often I think just we as believers, for those of you in this room who are Christians, I think we're so unaware of the battle that we don't even know what to show up with to fight, to win. And so today we're just gonna look, hey, this is the reality of the battle that that we're looking at. And the way that we're gonna kind of break down this text this morning is by looking at three things. So if you take notes, this is kind of where you start. Um, We're gonna look at three things. One is gonna be the struggle. We're gonna look at the struggle. Two, we're gonna look at the schemes. And three, we're gonna look at the strength. So the struggle, the schemes, and the strength, I love when it works out that way, three S's. And so as we look at the struggle, um, we're gonna answer the question of who. Okay. Who is our struggle against? As we look at the schemes, we're gonna answer the question, okay, what, what? What are the schemes? What do they actually look like? And third, as we look at the strength, we're gonna remind ourselves of where our source of strength comes from, who our source of strength is. So number one, the struggle, verse 12. Verse 12, it says that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So the devil and his demons, to sum it up, who is our struggle against? The devil, the enemy, Satan. Now, I I wanna just note here that Paul isn't saying we don't struggle or wrestle with flesh and blood. He's not saying that evil doesn't take on flesh and blood form. Because we know that Paul, he has struggled with people imprisoning him. He struggled with people stoning him and flogging him. Paul has dealt with flesh and blood evil, right? But he is saying that when the evil takes on flesh and blood form, war, cruelty, racism, greed, strife, crime, when it takes on this form, they are participating in something above and behind and beyond natural and human terms. And I think until we begin to recognize this dimension of evil in the world, we're not gonna be able to understand the depth and the pervasiveness and the attractability of what is really, really going on. So here's the thing, in the modern Western world, people kind of have trouble with this and you may be sitting in that boat as well. I, I, don't, I don't really know. I, I'm not really sure it, if this battle in the heavenly realms is actually happening. The modern mes- Western mindset is that everything kind of has a natural cause, right? Has a natural cause or a scientific reason. Everything has a scientific explanation. And if everything has a scientific cause and scientific explanation, then all of the evil in the world all of the crime, all of the violence, all of the racism, all of the war, all of the cruelty, all of this must have a natural cause then, right? If this is the case, we ourselves can fix it. If this is the case, we ourselves can, we can diagnose the problem. We can figure out the exact cause to what's going on We can educate enough, we can come up with a system that will eradicate the evil in the world. And I don't know if you have turned on the news lately, I don't know if you have walked out into this world that we live in, but evil is very much real. It is very much around us. Our systems and our solutions have not eradicated it. There is something much bigger at work around us than I think we often will admit. But before we head down that way of attributing everything to the devil, which would be a mistake, I wanna share a quote with you from C.S. Lewis, and many of you have probably heard it before. It comes from his book, Screwtape Letters. And C.S. Lewis, he has this pretty infamous quote when he's talking about the enemy. And this is what he says. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors, into which our race can fall about the devil. One is to disbelieve in their existence. So one error is to completely disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to actually feel an excessive or unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, they, the demons themselves, are equally pleased with both errors. There are two errors. There are two camps in which we can fall. And I think we have to stand against both of these errors. We have to fight against both of these errors. One is to overestimate the work of the devil. And the second is to completely underestimate the work of the devil. And you can actually, I don't know if you notice you can actually kind of infer these two inferences, the way that Paul talks about this in Ephesians 6. It says our struggle, and I want to highlight this word, our struggle. When they would have read this, that they would have actually heard a word that meant wrestle. They would not have expected to hear the word struggle that he used. It actually means to wrestle, to wrestle with. And so it's one thing to shoot arrows, right? From a distance to shoot arrows. It's one thing to throw a spear. It's, it's another thing even to use a sword. But to wrestle, like with your bare hands on the ground. To wrestle with your bare hands on the ground with somebody. This, in the context of war, is the the most life and death moment. It's the most desperate moment. And this is the word that Paul deliberately chooses to use when he's talking about spiritual warfare. And then you just begin to look at the language that he uses. You know, he says, the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and he goes on. I think what he's trying to do here is just show us how formidable they are. This is a very, very real battle that we're in. And then on the other hand, we can overestimate or we can attribute too much. Because if you look, Paul's not fearful here. Like Paul, he says, be strong in the Lord. That's how he starts off this portion of the letter. He says, be strong in the Lord. There's no fear in his voice. In verse 13, and we'll, we'll read it next week, he actually goes on later to say, he says, you will stand. He doesn't say, oh, hey, you have a chance of standing. Oh, hey, you might stand. He says, no, you will stand. So don't overestimate. Don't overestimate. And why are both of these bad? Why are both of these bad? Because both of them reduce evil. In different ways, they both reduce evil. And in order to be able to battle, in order to be able to fight, I think it's important for us just to have a somewhat complex understanding of what's going on. And typically, kind of each of us falls into one of these categories. Each of us naturally tends to fall in one of these camps. Some attribute way too much. Others ignore the enemy completely. And I love Tim Keller. He's an amazing pastor in New York. Uh, he kind of gives a great example of how this plays out. And this, this is what he wrote. He's talking about someone with, a, with an anger problem, with a temper problem. And this is, this is what he says. He says, oh, well, some might say, oh, someone with an anger problem, someone with a temper it's the devil. We have to do something about it. It's the devil. And Keller goes on to say, he says, well, wait a minute. What about the way they were raised? What about the bad psychology in them from family dynamics? What about the physiology? What, what if there's a chemical imbalance going on? Hey, what if it's a moral issue? What, what if they haven't forgiven someone and there's bitterness stored up in their heart? And most of the time, I think we tend to swing on one side of the pendulum or the other It's all the devil or on the other hand, we don't believe or see where he's at work at all. And the reality is most of the time, both of these are at work. And I think we have to understand this. We have to kind of hold this balance in a healthy way in order to actually be able to fight, to stand against the schemes. So number one, the struggle, who it's against. Number two, schemes. The devil's scheme. So we know who we're fighting, but what are we fighting? Like, what are we actually fighting? We have to understand the tactics. And we will be better to kind of understand the tactics, the schemes, if we actually look at these two words individually. If we look at devil, as we look at scheme, and we kind of break these words down, uh, we'll kind of get a better understanding of of how how the enemy actually works. So look at this first word, devil. There's two words typically used uh, to describe uh, the devil uh, in, in, in the scripture. And this word right here is the most common, most commonly used word. It's actually the word diablos. And diablos, by definition, when you look at this word, it means to lie and to slander. That's what it means. To lie and to slander. The second word is schemes. So you look at this word schemes, and it actually means methods. So think about schemes. You think about methods. And what I want you to notice is that's actually plural. That's something that just jumped out at me this week. It's plural. There's methods. And I think depending upon where the enemy's working and who the enemy is working against, there are different Methods in which he uses. And so, I mean, I I really, there's probably this American book of methods that the enemy uses. There's probably a a book on African methods, all all the strategies used in Africa. There's probably middle class, rich, poor, and you could go on and on and on. There's different methods because the enemy's a schemer. And so what do these methods, what do these methods consist of? We can actually go back to the very definition of, of his name. Lies. What do these methods consist of? Lies. They are made up of lies. And there's two lies I want us to look at. One is temptation. The lies of temptation. And the other one I want us to look at this morning is the lies of accusation. So lies of temptation and accusation. And if you didn't believe in this realm of warfare before, I think as we begin to unpack these two sets of lies, I think you're gonna begin to realize um, really what's going on around us. And so the devil can't make a good person bad. What the devil does is he makes a flawed person worse. And there's a difference there. The enemy makes a flawed person worse. So I don't know about you, but I got some flaws. Um, If there's anybody perfect in here, like just stand up, hoot and holler. We would love to meet you. We all have flaws, right? We all have flaws. And if you've ever grown up with a sibling, um, I I wanna kind of give us a a metaphor. Who, Who grew up with a sibling in here? Anybody? Who who was ever annoyed by their sibling or annoyed their sibling? Yeah, proud of you for the few that did not raise their hand for the second question. So Lord, bless my sister, really, like her poor soul that I tormented for so many years. Um, Anytime that I was annoyed with her, anytime she was kind of on my nerves, something would happen as I would know exactly what to do to get back at her. Like, I knew exactly the buttons that I needed to press in order to send her into a frenzy or possibly crying a few times. I knew, I knew her so well that it didn't take long for me to be able to retaliate and push those hot buttons in, in her personality to be able to really drive her to the point of crazy. And I know this analogy is not perfect, but I really think the enemy works in a very similar way. He sees the broken places in our life, sees the broken places in our story, and he uses lies. He uses both temptation and accusation to pull us into deeper places of brokenness, to pull us into deeper places of darkness, to to get us from the light into the darkness, and he uses this. And we've read this before, actually. I don't know if you remember back in Ephesians 4. This thought is not something I came up with. I just got it from Ephesians. Paul, chapter 4, verse 26, he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil a foothold. Interesting, right? See, the devil, he aggravates what's already in you. If you're bitter, it leaves a foothold for him. foothold for him to use, a footfold. Now, I don't know about you, I've never heard the audible voice, you know, of of the devil. Like what I think happens is this kind of self-talk that goes on in your heart. And this self-talk that kind of happens, uh, you sometimes don't even realize it's happening. And I think it happens in two major ways. Temptation and accusation. Temptation is basically you kind of holding too high view of yourself. Too high view of yourself. So you end up doing things that you shouldn't. Accusation is actually having too low view of yourself. This is where you have too low, or maybe a self-hating view of yourself. And in temptation, this too high view of yourself, what the enemy's doing is he's He's just playing up the love of God, but really hiding the holiness of God. And accusation is just the opposite. He's really gonna hide the love of God, but really play up the holiness, the holiness of God. And both of these, both of these are wrong. In the 17th century, this guy named Thomas Brooks, uh, hundreds of years ago, Thomas Brooks, he wrote this book. It's called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. I love it too, because you think nothing has really changed from here to a few hundred years ago. We're still fighting the same battle. He wrote this book called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices. And in this book, he describes 50, 60 uh, different devices or lies that that Satan uses. And Keller, uh, who I mentioned before, he actually took a lot of this old language and he updated it kind of for our modern uh, culture and, and context And what I wanna do right now is just share with you seven of these lies, seven of these deceptions uh, under the temptation category and then four in the accusation category. So seven in temptation and four in accusation. If you write, you might wanna write these down. If you don't catch them all, you can ask me later. So ways that the the, the enemy lies and deceives through temptation. Here's, Here's the first strategy. One is he gives you the bait, but hides the hook. He gives you the bait, but hides the hook. And kinda as I talk through some of these, I may share some of the self-talk that I think sometimes goes along with these. So he gives you the bait, but hides the hook. This is where he plays up kinda the short-term pleasures and maybe hides the long-term misery that comes with it. Anybody, no? <laughs> Number two, Number two, he gets you to rationalize sin as virtue, kinda in this self-talk that maybe goes on in your heart. So I'm not really that greedy. I'm just thrifty. I'm not really that nosy, or I'm not really that gossipy. I'm just a concerned person. Oh, I'm not really an alcoholic. I'm just social. It's so number two. Number three is by showing you the sins of others and using comparison. Showing you the sins of others and using comparison. This uh, you know, you may get in the, oh, man, he did it, she did it, they struggle with it. So, I mean, nobody can really be that pure. Or on the opposite end, well, I don't struggle with that like that person does. So I'm I'm really in a pretty good place. Number four, overstressing the mercy of God. Overstressing the mercy of God. Okay, just do it. God will forgive you. It's his job. Number five, making one bitter over suffering. Making one bitter over suffering. I've been through enough. Okay, like I have... Done enough. I deserve this. Number six, showing Christians how the world has such fun lives. Showing Christians how the world lives such fun lives. Okay, so I might as well join them, right? Playing by the rules gets me nowhere. Number seven, getting you to compare one part of your life with another part of your life. So you find yourself saying, oh, I'm pretty good here. I'm pretty good here. I'm pretty good here. Like, I'm doing pretty well. Now this, yeah, that's all right. Because I'm doing pretty good everywhere else. Do you hear the lies? Do you hear the deception? Here are four, uh, four ways that he lies and deceives with accusation. Having too low or self-hating view of oneself. Number one, causing us to look more at our sin than at our Savior. Causing us to look more at our sin than our Savior. I'm convinced that anytime we recognize a place where we've fallen short, anytime we recognize sin in our life, we need to spend 10 more times looking at the hope and life we have in Jesus. And what the enemy does is he twists it to do the opposite where we tend to spend 10 more times looking at our sin and forgetting the hope and life and forgiveness that we have in Jesus. Number two, causing obsession over past sins. Number three, making Christians think the troubles they are going through must be punishments. Oh, this this wouldn't have happened to me unless God was mad at me. This wouldn't happen to me unless I did X, Y, Z. This must be God punishing me. (laughs) Number four, making people think the inner thoughts or struggles aren't thoughts or struggles that a Christian would have. I cannot even believe I'm thinking this. I can't even believe that I went here in my mind if I was really following Jesus, if I was really a Christian, this is not something that I would even struggle with. Do you hear all the lies? He's playing us. He's playing us. And did you notice that each one of these attacks our hope and our identity in Jesus? That's what he's after. And we need to be aware of the ways in which he's coming after us so that when it starts to happen, we can put our foot down and say no. Did any of these resonate with you? Like did any of these kind of strike a chord in your heart? I want you to note those for later. So we've looked at the struggle, we've looked at the schemes, and now we get the joy of looking at the strength where Paul started this whole thing. Verse 10, he says, be strong. And this is actually better understood in a passive way. So when he says be strong, he's actually saying, hey, be strengthened. Be made strong. Be strengthened not by your own power, but by his mighty power. This is not something you have to just muster up from from within. This is something God is going to do within you. And this is nothing new. Paul's been talking about this the entire journey through Ephesians. Ephesians chapter one, listen to this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and what his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him where? At the right hand of God in the heavenly realms, above all rule, above all authority, above all power, above every dominion. Ephesians three, he said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Holy Spirit, where in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. He continues, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. This God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to what his power at work within us. This strength comes from our Father at work within us. And so we can't fight this battle alone. I've tried, it doesn't work. You've tried, it doesn't work. We're weak. We fall short. But here's the good news about being weak. What's the the word tell us about being weak? It says, his strength is made perfect. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And also, you notice Paul was not fearful. He didn't pick up any sort of timidness, any sort of fright here. When Paul approaches the subject of Satan, you want to know why? You want to know why that Paul is not fearful? Spoiler alert. Like, Jesus has won. Jesus has won. Jesus already claimed the victory. Talk about a sense of power, talk about a sense of strength, is knowing you're going into the battle already with the the knowledge that Jesus has won it for you already. In verse 11, when it says to stand against, it actually means to hold your ground, which there's a significant thing that we have to understand where it says, hold your ground. Because you think about armies, They march into other countries to occupy and to subdue. And God, he hasn't told us to do this. We are not to march, but we are to stand. This word stand implies that the ground disputed by the enemy is God's and therefore it's ours. Jesus, through the cross, already carried this war to hell. And he came out victorious three days later. By the resurrection, God proclaimed through his son, Victor, over the whole realm of darkness. And the ground Christ has won, that ground that he won, he's given it to us. Remember Ephesians 2.6, it says, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. We do not need to fight to obtain it. In the person of Christ, God has already conquered. He has given us victory to hold on to. Within the sphere of Christ, the enemy's defeat is already fact. And the church has been put here to keep him defeated. So today, we do not fight for victory, but we fight from a place of victory. We do not battle in order to win, but because in Christ we have already won, amen? It's it's with this reality that we can stand against the schemes and the lies of Satan. Because here's the thing, you can only fight lies with truth. You can only fight lies with truth. And next week, we're really going to unpack this, this armor in which we get to stand with. But, but this week, what I want to invite us to do is we're, get, we're getting ready to take communion. And communion, it, it's a very significant time um, just in, in, in our worship together. Communion's where we go and we grab the bread and we grab the cup. And in this moment, we, we are sitting around the person of Jesus, the one that we have victory in, the one that we need not have fear for the real battle going on around us. But as as we, as we commune with Jesus and one another this morning, I wanna invite you just to kinda of, uh, self-reflect uh, with maybe the people around you. I want you to kinda of self-reflect upon uh, maybe way I kind of put it earlier, was those, those, those hot button places uh, that you know that the enemy tends to come after you. What were those lies that resonated in your heart? What were those accusations that you tend to believe? What are the ways that the enemy specifically comes after you? Because here's the thing. When we fight those lies with truth we begin to live in greater freedom, and that's what Jesus died for us to live into. Life's full of freedom, not fear. So what I wanna invite you to do is uh, just get vulnerable with one another. Um, share, share the places that uh, you re- realize, hey, this is the way that the enemy uh, comes, after, comes after me. For some of you, you may not be able to share that, and you say, I just even recognized for the first time the lies that the enemy has been feeding me. So what I wanna do is I just wanna invite you to stand. I'm gonna pray over us, just inviting the Spirit of God, Spirit of God to reveal and to take us into freedom in Jesus. Father, we, uh, we come to you as just your, your children in need uh, of your love this morning, in need um, of your love, God, in such a way that uh, really reveals to us maybe the, the, just the chinks in our armor, uh, the, the blind spots, the ways that the enemies had a foothold that maybe we did not realize. Oh, Lord, we want you to take control. Like, we want you in the name of Jesus to scatter the enemy far from this place this morning far from our hearts this morning because we know when your truth comes in, the lies get squashed and the enemy scatters. And so we just invite your light uh, into this place this morning. Uh, Will you just begin to reveal to us um, maybe the the places where uh, we've had uh, those blinders on Um, and will you give us uh, the real lens in which we are to view uh, this world with? And so, Holy Spirit, just in, just come, have your way with our hearts. Will you just open up avenues of, of communication with each other, where we we can really just speak freedom and life into each other this morning, Father? If there's uh, folks here who um, feel alone or entrapped, um, have no ways of. Uh, getting out of the lies they find themselves trapped in. Lord, will you help them find someone in this room this morning where they can really just open up? And Jesus, we love you. Like, thank you for being victorious. The fact that we do not have to uh, stand in this room fearful, uh, that we get to stand with you victorious. And so Jesus, have your way with us this morning. Uh, those places where uh, the enemy has a stronghold, Jesus, in your name, break those strongholds this morning. Uh, may the chains in the places of darkness literally just be broken in this, in this place this morning. Lord, your light, your light casts out the darkness. Your love casts out fear. Your truth casts out lies. So we welcome, we welcome your truth in here this morning. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we pray, amen.